Welcome back to the Haven Audio Podcast. This is episode four of our note card sessions. I'm here with Corey Kirkland. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chad. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. We're recording this on Father's Day. Have you had a good Father's Day? I did have a great Father's Day. Got to spend some time with my family, get some pretty great presents. I told you about my Father's Day snow cones last time. So yeah, yeah. Life's pretty good. That's awesome, man. That's I awesome. missed you guys last week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we missed you too, but Doug and I had a lot of fun and I sure was glad he was able to step in. Do you have a good vacation? Because you just, you were in Branson, right? Yes. Well, we were at Kimberling City, which is a lake kind of near Branson, the Table Rock Lake, but had a great time. Skied till my hands bled and then skied some more until I couldn't hold the rope anymore. It was just awesome. Our whole family had a great time. That's really good. That's really good. Well, this week we're talking about the five love languages by Gary Chapman. Um, I've really enjoyed kind of going over this and, and stuff. And I was actually thinking about this today, you know, for father's day, my boys and I just kind of hung out around the house and I made a steak. I grilled a steak for dinner that my dad raised on his own land. And so I got to honor him a little bit by enjoying the product of his labor. And my boys today, when I made that steak, decided they liked it. So they gave me many, many words of affirmation in their enjoyment of the steak that I grilled up, which felt pretty good. That is awesome. I don't know who asked this question, because I never know, because they're anonymous. But essentially, the question was, is the five love languages a Christian book, and is that useful for relationships? And, you know, I've heard about the five love languages. I'd never, ever read it, never paid much attention to it, and never would have picked it up except for this question. And I really enjoyed the book. Me too. And you know, it's one of those things that it's a concept that kind of floats around a lot in conversation. If you talk to anybody long enough about relationships or even just friendships, you know, you end up having people kind of discuss what their love languages are. I have a tendency in conversation to kind of jokingly say that trash talk is my love language, right? Like <laughs> it's, it's enough of our cultural conversation that we can joke about it. It kind of is your love language, actually. <laughs> it, really, it really is. It really is. I have I have an observation about that that I'm going to throw in in a little bit. Chad likes to go hard. He he always likes to try to trash talk me. Uh, that's that's something that he expresses affection with. It I, really I think is. That's true. It really is. If I'm not talking noise when we're uh, you know competing or hanging out, I probably don't love you very much, or at least I don't feel too comfortable with you. You know, I say that jokingly, but it is really true. I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't know before I got this book and read it that it was actually a Christian book. It's one of those self-help books you hear them talking about in secular settings. I don't watch The View, but I picture them talking about yeah. this book on The View. Yeah. And so I didn't know it was a Christian book until I picked it up. And I'm usually not real big on the quote-unquote Christian self-help devotional type of books mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times— in our walk, we replace our quiet time where we should be reading scripture with instead us having secondhand spirituality where we just read what somebody else took out of scripture, which would be fine if it didn't replace reading the Bible. But I think for a lot of people, it keeps us from getting in the Word. So I'm not usually a big fan of these popular devotion type books, but that's really not what this is. Yeah, there, there is a lot of wisdom in this book, right? And you know, admittedly, it is the type of book where um, Oprah could have talked about it on her show. And somebody who doesn't believe in, in God, somebody who's not a believer, could read it and get some good out of it. 
I love the way you said there's a lot of wisdom in this because one of the things you and I talked about when we were planning this podcast is the fact that really this is a book of Christian wisdom. Yeah. And he says things over and over that are clearly rooted in Scripture. And lots of times they're exact quotes from Scripture, but he doesn't put the chapter and verse with it. It just overflows out of the way he speaks. He over and over again quotes 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, my bad. And over and over again, he says, love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy. And he references scripture, but he never says, I took this from the Bible. And so it's really uniquely done, but it's clearly based in scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's the type of thing where if you have the background to see where he's pulling all these insights from, it makes it even more powerful, right? This is one of the very few books that I think I would recommend to a friend of mine who was a Christian, and I would also recommend to a friend of mine who wasn't a Christian. Um, you know, I'm not going to give one of my systematic theology books to somebody who's not a believer, probably. Like, I'm going to point them straight towards Scripture, right? But if I have a non-Christian friend who's struggling in a relationship or who is who seems like they might be helped by this book, I think that they could glean a lot from it and ingest some of that wisdom as they go. It does, and I think it's going to be obvious to anyone who reads it that he is quoting the Bible, and he does even mention Jesus and God. So I don't want it to sound like it's some undercover Christian book. And I think this is actually the kind of book that might show a non-believer the relevance of Scripture. It really is Scripture applied. Absolutely. And, and so I think the first thing we need to figure out when we talk about the question that was asked, is this a Christian book, is, is this based on biblical principles? And we've already talked about he quotes Scripture. But the idea of love in itself is very, very important in the Bible. In fact, you could say, really, love is the chief verb in the Bible, the chief commandment that we have. You know, the number one commandment is to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And the number two is love our neighbor as ourself. And the common denominator there is love. Yeah, the overflow of love from our hearts shows more about the over overflow of Christ's work in our life than anything else. Does uh, that absolutely. Sense? Out out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we need to be so full of love that that it pours out everywhere. And right now, if you look at our world, you look at what's what's happening, uh, well, all across our country now, both in the Floyd situation, racial justice issues, and even in the COVID-19 fuss about what we're going to do and what rules we're going to have, we need some love. We need some communication. And so this book, I think, is really great about helping us understand how to love our neighbor. Because it's hard to do. Well, love is such a big concept, right? You know, one of uh, the things I thought about when I was reading this book was, I think every youth pastor ever has had this lesson, and it is probably the same for each and every one of them, right? Every youth pastor ever has taught this lesson about what love is, and they brought in the idea of the different words for love in the Greek language, right? In the, in the Greek language, you have uh, phileo, which is, a, which is a brotherly type love. You have eros, which is a, a more sexually kind of colored love. You have agape, which is um, more of a, a familial or um, kind of universal love, right? And uh, I think every youth pastor has, has brought that in to try to express that 
love is a word that we throw around so much, right? You can love your children or you can love your dog, right? And you can use the same word for both, but there's obviously kind of a a range of what that's expressing, right? It's funny that you say that's the universal youth minister lesson because it's also pretty common in college ministry. Yeah. In fact, this last <laughs> semester in Mark, the last lesson we had in person and the next few lessons that we finished up uh, through video, if you watch those videos, we talked about how God commands us to go agape the world. Yeah. To agape him and agape our neighbor as ourself. And we talked about those great commandments. We also talked a little bit about the golden rule. And Chad, you and I talked a little bit about how the golden rule is really misunderstood. Because when you say, treat others as you would like to be treated, treat others as you would have them to treat you, a lot of times we think that means, I like chocolate ice cream, I better go give my neighbor chocolate ice cream. Your neighbor, your neighbor might be me, and I hate chocolate ice cream. <laughs> the golden rule doesn't mean give people chocolate ice cream if you like chocolate ice cream. It means if you like getting your favorite flavor of ice cream, give your neighbor their favorite flavor of ice cream. If you don't like having some flavor you don't like shoved down your throat, don't shove a flavor down their throat. Get to know them well enough to give them their favorite. And this book really helps us figure out what kind of ice cream our neighbor likes to eat. Yeah, right. It takes that big concept of love and gives us a framework or gives us like a pegboard. So we, we have hooks that we can hang different real life experiences on and kind of understand how to better love those around us. And I think that it's important, too, to point out this book was written as a... Um, as a book for couples to read together so that they can improve the way they love each other in a marital sense. But I would venture to say that the concepts laid forth in this book are absolutely universal, right? I've thought about these concepts in the way that I love my boys. I've thought about these concepts in the way that I love and care for my friends, right? Um, I think you could use these concepts in the way that you think about, you know, how you care for and love the people that you work with acquaintances right like it it's it's a framework or a or a way of thinking about things that's really helpful exactly chad and i think you touched on two things that i think we need to really emphasize before we move forward number one this book is not scripture but it is wisdom and a fool scorns wisdom and knowledge and we don't want to be a fool so we want to take what we can take from this but if there's a conflict in something that you see in a book that somebody else wrote and something that you see in scripture, you go with scripture. The other thing, though, that I, I think is really great that you pointed out when you said we're going we're gonna to apply this in some extra ways today. This book is written for a couple, a married couple or a couple that's about to get married, to go through together and learn how to love each other more effectively. And it's a process. And what we're going to do today is not a substitute for reading the book. In fact, I think the first thing we've done is endorse reading the book. And it's worth your time. It took me, I don't know, an hour and a half to read this whole book. It was not very hard read, but it's worth your time and it makes you think. And it's good for that application. But today we are going to sort of give an outline of what those five love languages are and think a little bit about how we can see the world and consider those and use those as a little bit of a checklist to see if we're loving our neighbor. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I would say before we jump in here too, I would just add, I think it's easy for us to 
think of these love languages in terms of ourself. In fact, I think that's one of the first places that we should we should apply that, right? But the point of all of this is to help us kind of get out of our comfort zone and love other people in the way that in ways that we might not necessarily be comfortable with. And so, I would encourage our listeners to just lean into the discomfort of showing people love in ways that you might not necessarily be as comfortable with. You know, I think that that would be a good exercise. Absolutely. And I think before we get into some of that application and uh, how we apply those things to ourselves, let's go ahead and list what the love languages are just really quick. Chad, do you want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first one is words of affirmation. The second one is quality time. The third one is receiving gifts. The fourth one is acts of service. And the fifth one is physical touch. Um, and we can jump in um, to all of those and kind of give more of a summary as we talk about each one. When I read this book, Chad, mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of thought of different people in my life. And I thought not only of Elizabeth, and we'll talk about her love languages and my love languages. I thought of my dad's love languages. I read this book and I thought of you. Specifically, a couple things that were just, well, that's definitely Chad, is I was reading this book where you are really gift oriented and i don't mean that in a materialistic way but you give really thoughtful gifts you've given gifts to me before that it meant a lot and it's like wow he really put some time and some thought into that which i'm not good at that if i buy you a gift it's it's gonna not be good (laughs) whether i spend a lot of money or not i can put a lot of effort in but i just don't have that gift and you do The other thing that just really made me laugh is physical touch. And that we're going to talk about in a minute that that's don't be thinking ooh la la type stuff. Yeah. Physical touch is just some people need physical communication. And when we were doing the Zoom church on Wednesday nights, Chad couldn't take it. Yeah, I was cranky, man. Yeah, you couldn't take it. (laughs) You were like, I've got to touch people. I can't do this. I can't look at people and hear people and not touch them. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't handle this. Yeah, it was like because a weird cognitive dissonance, right? It's like my brain could not um, put two and two together. And I completely agree with you, right? Like, um, if you would have asked me what my love languages were, are the first one that I would say is physical touch, right? And um, the Zoom example is one I would have never thought about, but it is so true. I was consistently kind of having to coach myself up not to be cranky on our Zoom calls because it just it threw me off, right? It really threw me for a loop. Like, I'm a words of affirmation guy. Yes, absolutely. I'm a word person. Everything I do is word-based. And honestly, Zoom's just fine with me. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm happy to hug somebody if they want to hug. I'm happy Mm -hmm. to shake someone's hand, but I don't need it. I'm happy to look people in the eye on a TV screen and talk to them. And as long as I get to say words and I get to hear their words, I'm good. Yeah. Because that's my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know... uh, If you would have, you know, when I was reading this, I did the same thing. I thought about my boys. I thought about you. I thought about the, the, the pastors that I work with. And, and, uh, if, if you would have had me list off your, um, love languages, the first one I would have said was words of affirmation. Right. And, um, you know, and it's so, it's so obvious to me, right. I I remember one time I was telling my, my grandma, my grandma and I were really close, um, 
she might be the only person who listens to this. Hi, Mama Sherry. But anyway, um, I was talking to my grandma one time, and uh, I was telling her a story about you. I was I was talking to her, and I don't even remember what story it was, but she just kind of looked at me and, and said, it sounds like Corey is an encourager, right? And that's absolutely true, right? Like, And, uh, and the second one I would say for you is uh, I, I feel like you're an acts of service guy. You know, I mean, I feel like you kind of go out of your way to to just try to do stuff for people, right? You're kind of a fixer, aren't you? Try to be, yeah. And and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head because that's that's who I am. If if you tell me I've got these problems, I'm going to say I've got these solutions, and we'll talk about that in a little later. But sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's bad. And you know, one thing that just talking about um, kind of our gifts and what what gifts other people see see in us to me kind of reminds me of how much having like a framework like this can just lead to really interesting and fruitful conversation, right? Because if you would have asked me to kind of to, to diagnose my own gifts, to, to tell you what my languages are, right? Gift giving would be on the bottom, or receiving gifts would be on the bottom of that list, which I think is fascinating, right? I do like giving gifts, but if you ask me the things that I find most meaningful, receiving gifts isn't really high on my list, which I think is very interesting, right? It, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's uh, not an important love language to me, but it's just a very interesting thing to think about, right? I see giving gifts as more of an act of service, right? Um, but I mean, really, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah, they really are. And a lot of these things, you can have the same action and it qualifies as different things just depending on how you see it with your eyes. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Let's let's kind of dive into each one of these just a little bit, right? The first one that he talks about is words of affirmation. What what are words of affirmation? Well, words of affirmation are things that you say that make someone else feel loved, feel affirmed. And I like the word affirmed because sometimes it's about dignity and respect as opposed to mushy, warm, fuzzy love particularly for us guys. I think back to one of my great words of affirmation in my life. I was a young guy, seventh grade, just kind of figuring things out. I was kind of clumsy. I have this eye disease called dysgraphia. And so I was pretty strong. I was pretty quick. I was pretty aggressive. But I couldn't catch a football if my life depended on it. I'd trip all over my own legs and all this stuff. And I had this football coach that told another guy's dad some really great things about me and what I was doing and what I was going to do. And I'm not going to go into those things today, but those words are something I treasure. And I still go back to what Coach Warner told Trent's dad outside of my Sunday school class one day in Sunday school. And I go back to what I heard him say. And words of affirmation can be that. And this book points out that words of affirmation can be indirect like that where you brag on somebody else, or they can be direct, where you say to somebody, Chad, you go a really great garden. I can't wait to eat that squash. It's really impressive. Or Chad, you're a great dad. Or Chad, you, you're a really great podcast moderator, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, and, and just so if you're watching at home, I say, Chad, you're a great dad, because Deacon just came out to, give, to sneak up and give his dad a great big hug. And now he's podcast famous, so maybe he'll yeah. sneak back into bed. We'll see. You want to go back to bed, buddy? Yeah. Do you want a drink? Um, 
Yeah, I think words of affirmation, if you were to ask me what my top two were, um, what my top two languages were, the first one I would say would be physical touch. The second one would be kind of a, a battle royale between words of affirmation and either quality time. Well, words of affirmation or quality time, probably. Um, and I remember, you know, I think for especially for someone who this is especially meaningful for, right? Like I have moments in my life like you where somebody's words of affirmation just made a huge difference. I remember one time when I still worked at USAO, I, I worked in the admissions office and we were in the middle of a big database transition. And that's really boring for most people. But long story short, I taught myself a programming language so that I could learn to write reports for our recruiting process, right? And I put a lot of work into it. And uh, it was difficult, but it was really rewarding. And and I was kind of in the thick of it. And uh, Jim, our database guy, came in one time to the office and just walked in and said, did you write that report yourself? And he's, I said, yeah. And he said, that looked better than half of the reports I've seen professionals write. That's really good. And he just walked out, you know, and I just beamed for the rest of the day. I felt like I had felt like I was Moses and saw the presence of God, right? Like I just glowed, you know? And I, I don't know if that's blasphemous or not, but it's a great story. <laughs> if it's blasphemous, I apologize. But that's what I felt like, right? It's just like, I just felt like everybody, when they looked at me, could see that I had been affirmed that day. And right? that's, that's so biblical. Yeah. Jesus tells us to speak words of life. The Bible says the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. And it can steer us in a good direction or a bad direction. And Solomon said, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And the Bible commands us over and over again to speak those kind words and words of affirmation. Also, the Bible tells us not to be double-minded, not to be duplicitous. And so that idea of the indirect words of affirmation, that idea that you would praise other you would praise somebody to somebody else mm-hmm. so you're consistent. So you don't say nice things to you and then bad things about you when someone else comes around. Yeah. And that's something that we all need to work on as Christians in speaking words of life and words of love. And that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. But I really like some of the things the book said to do to work on that. Mm-hmm. One thing it said, and, and the book is focusing, of course, on a marriage. And so a lot of the advice they give is focused on that spousal relationship. But there are things that you can all, you can apply this to any specific person. Maybe you're a boss and you have some employees uh, that, that, that you really want to affirm. Maybe you are a teammate, whatever the case may be. This book tells you make a list of good things about that person and have them ready. So when the time comes, you can share those good things. And if you look at the biblical model, Paul, every time he shares some bad stuff, he starts off with, there's some really good things going on here. Let me build you up before I tell you the rough things. And I'm pretty sure that's what he did. He had a list that said, or the Holy Spirit had a list for him that said, here's some good things you can use and some words of life and some words of love you can speak so that you have the ability to speak truth into people. In fact, Jesus did that in the the seven letters to the churches as well. He says, there's some good stuff going on here, Mm -hmm. but I have this against you. Yes. 
Yeah. And I would I would venture to say, and you could argue this about any of the five love languages, but I would venture to say that if you discipline yourself to to do things like that, right? To to if you discipline if you find somebody in your life hard to love, maybe you're an employee and you have a boss that you find hard to love. You know, we've all been there um, or will be there at some point, probably. Um, I would argue that disciplining yourself to do that with a genuine heart, to, to, to write down a list of things that you can affirm about what they do, even if that list is two or three things long, right? Um, I think if you get in a regular practice of adding to that list, you won't be able to help but to actually affirm that person in your heart, right? You won't be able to help but to feel a, a sort of love or an affirmation for them. Uh, that's awesome, Chad. The other thing is we've all got to learn how to be loved. And so we've got to learn how to take a compliment. And that's something that I've had to really work on throughout my life is look someone in the eye and say, thank you very much. Yeah, because it's really easy to say, oh, it, it was nothing. Yes, right? and when you do that, when you play off a compliment, what you do is you take this gift that they gave you and you throw it in the trash. Mm-hmm. And that's hurtful, especially if it's a words of affirmation person that that means so much to and so we've all got to learn to accept those good things. And Jesus says, whatever is good, whatever is wholesome, or Paul said, uh, Jesus said through Paul, whatever's good, whatever's wholesome, meditate on this. Yeah. And so that's what we need to do is we need to learn to accept that form of affection. And sometimes that's hard because we don't see ourselves that way. But that's why we need to hear those things. Yeah. To accept, to accept affirmation doesn't mean that you're not humble, right? It's not arrogant to let somebody affirm you. So, Chad, what's next? Next, we have quality time. That's a good one. Of course, the first scripture that came to my mind as I was reading this, actually, there were three. And and these scriptures that I'm throwing out, they're not necessarily the scriptures that were cited in the text. These are just things in the Bible that I thought of when I read the stories in the book. Clearly, love is patient. Mm -hmm. God commands us to abide in him. And one of the most profound scriptures I ever read in Revelation 3.20 that we cite in a couple different ways, uh, that's written to the church, and it's a general statement about the church that, that he says, I stand at the door and knock. But I also think that does apply individually because the church is made up of individuals. And I don't think it's wrong when people say, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Come in and accept me. I, I think that's accurate too. But the thing we leave out about that verse is, Jesus says, here I am, I stand and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and eat with him and him with me. Yeah. Jesus says the whole point of this is, let me in your heart so we can have a meal together, so we can hang out, so we can abide together, and we can live together. Yeah. Jesus is really big on quality time. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. There, There is something that's life-giving about giving your attention to someone else, right? And and, and it, investing your time into a relationship with somebody. That's great. And you said attention. And that's a really great point because what really kind of hit me in the feels when I read this is the fact that this is all about undivided attention, all about quality time, not quantity time. I'm not a quality time guy. I'm a let's get something done. Yeah. You 
I'll show you I love you by going in the backyard and fixing something for you, changing your oil, whatever the case may be, not by sitting next to you. But my son, who in most ways is my clone, he gets this from his mom. When he was three years old, he asked me to help him make a sign that says no phones in here for his room because he did not want me taking my Blackberry in his room and answering emails while I was supposed to be playing with him. Mm -hmm. No phones. And Elizabeth is the same way. When we're watching a TV show, I'm not a TV guy. If it was just me, I wouldn't own a TV. So I'll kind of try to sneak a book and read a book or play on my phone or whatever or just look away and just listen because I'm a listener. I don't look at the TV. And she'll say, are you not paying attention? Look at this. And she wants to experience it together and be undivided attention. And if we're watching a cake show, I need to watch that cake show, not just listen to it or or it's about read a the book. shared experience, yes, not or, the individual experiences. Right? Go to sleep. You know, I <laughs> when we first got married, I thought watching TV together was let's. This is awesome. I'm going to prop my feet up and go to sleep. That's not quality time to her because it's not undivided attention. It's just me sleeping in the same room she's watching TV. Yeah, and that makes sense. Jesus says, "I'm going to sit down and eat with you, and you with me." He says, "I want your undivided attention," and so it makes sense that Ephesians five tells us that the that Marriage mirrors our relationship to Jesus, and a husband and wife should show each other that same undivided attention. And the same thing with our neighbors. When we look people in the eye and we listen to what they say, it's amazing how much more effective our conversation can be, as opposed to when we listen to what they say and we're thinking about what we say next. Instead, if we just let what they have totally affect us, that's unbelievable how that, that little step, that little pause, that little comma in our life can help us share Jesus' love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Reed is my quality time kid, right? My boys um, have very different love languages, but Reed is my, my quality time kid, you know? And uh, the illustration that the author uses when he's talking about um, the Dead Sea versus the babbling brook, right? He, the author uses this illustration and says, you know, there's some people who— they're like the Dead Sea, right? Um, the Dead Sea is so salty because water just flows into it, right? And and everything that goes there stays there, right? Um, and some people are like babbling brooks in that information comes out of them, right? Reed is a babbling brook, right? And which I have trouble with sometimes because I am a babbling brook, right? Like um, if anybody spends any time with me, I'm kind of a talker, you know, and Reed is the same way. And sometimes I feel so exhausted because it's like he just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. And I'm just feel like my brain is going to explode. Right. But really what he's looking for is for quality time. He wants for me to be fully engaged with him and talking about, Minecraft or whatever video game he's playing or whatever Pokemon he's into or whatever, right? He's wanting that quality time and conversation. Absolutely. And, and he points out in, his, in the book that opposites attract, but opposites don't necessarily function. And so it's natural for one person in a relationship to be heavy on quality time when the other's not. But we have to learn to work through these things. And some of the things he talked about to do that is make a rule. I'm not going to interrupt. Mm-hmm. I said a minute ago, I'm a fixer. I don't have to say, hey, let me solve your problem. Number two, watch body language. Mm-hmm. 
and be intentional. Put things on the calendar that you're going to spend time. Have a date night or have a guy's night. You know, some of the, the best times in the world are we have a, a, a man trip that we go on every year, just some of us guys, uh, you and me and two to 20 other guys. <laughs> and we get in a car and we travel six hours and just spend that time in a car each way, nine hours each way. And it's amazing what just happens when you schedule that. And so this this week, I texted the guys and said, hey, put it on your calendar. First weekend in January, we're going to man trip. And you've got to put it on the calendar. And you've got to do that in relationships too. And it doesn't have to be we're going to go spend money and go to a movie and a dinner. In fact, Elizabeth and I, our favorite quality time, and, and it's... It's just, she just came up with this. One day she said, hey, I bought Puyo Tetris, which is this kind of Tetris game that's got this other things too. Let's start playing that. And she didn't grow up playing video games. I didn't really grow up playing video games. I played Tetris a little. But every night of our life for like the last four years, if we're home, if there's not something unusual going on, before we go to bed, we play Tetris. Yeah. Every night. And we have those sideways conversations where we're both sitting on the couch looking at the TV and we talk about our life and we, hey, what do you think about this and what's going on in the world and and what do you think about this parenting issue? And we work through life together while we play Tetris. It's a canvas that acts as a backdrop for your conversation. It right? is, and it's unbelievable how much of a blessing that video game has been. Yeah, yeah. You know, I jokingly said at the start of the podcast that trash talk is my love language, you know, um, really in thinking about this kind of in a more formal way, knowing that I'd have to th- have to talk about it. You know, I really think that that is an offshoot of my love for quality time. Right. Um, you know, I think about our man trip. Right. We, we give each other a hard time and we rib each other. And if somebody has a wreck or whatever, we watch it over and over and over again and give each other a hard time and all that stuff. And I think that, you know, for me, for people who are wired like me, right, you really have to know somebody well and have spent enough quality time with somebody in order to be able to give them a hard time without hurting their feelings, right? And I think that, you know, if I am thinking about my own, the manifestation of this in my own life, that is my excuse for letting a little trash talk into my relationships. Well, and that's the difference in words of affirmation and quality time. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> things conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fun. I, I enjoy the trash talking on ski trips too. <laughs> um, and you can you can have one or two love languages that are really obvious, but that doesn't mean the other stuff can't yes. resonate. Yes. I think that, that the combination of all five of these lang- love languages to different degrees is important to all of us in some way, right? What's next, Chad? Next, we have receiving gifts. And so the people who um, this love language speaks most to um, really resonate with having something given to them. And, and one of the things I noticed in the chapter about receiving gifts was, you know, he, he was very intentional about mentioning this doesn't necessarily mean that these gifts have monetary value. It's really just a token of a thought put into action, right? Yeah. And, and of course, the example is when Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, gives him a serpent? Yeah. If you if you guys are evil and you know how to give good gifts, how much so? How much more so? Your father in heaven, yeah. who is good, will give good gifts. And again, 
That's just one more example of God expresses his love through these love languages and expects us to do the same. And if you think back to your life, some of the gifts you've had cost a lot of money. I, my favorite two gifts growing up were a Sea-Doo and a dirt bike. Yeah. And those are both really expensive gifts. But really what makes them great is the time that I spent with my dad. My dad took me water skiing pretty much every day you could ski growing up after work till dark. And he would sit on that darn boat and bring the rope around until I had learned whatever I was doing, whether it's skiing or kneeboarding or tubing or wakeboarding or some crazy thing that I had heard somebody talk about at school. And he would just always be there for me. And it's my favorite gift I ever got. And it costs a lot of money, but it's not the money that that really was special. It's those memories that go with it. And the same thing with the motorcycle and him teaching me how to do that. Um, that the other side of that is today, my son, I, I think I mentioned, my son made me a picture frame for Father's Day. And he took a wood burner and he carved or I don't know drew whatever you do with a wood burner he <laughs> burned lightsabers and Thor hammers on this picture frame and it's a picture of me wearing a Star Wars shirt and him wearing a Marvel shirt and he put them together on this picture frame yeah. I'm sure it cost maybe a dollar for the wood at Dollar Tree and but he spent three days making this thing and it's beautiful and I'll yeah. treasure it for as long as I live yeah yeah Absolutely. You know, um, I'm sitting here since we're telling gift stories right behind you. We're sitting in my living room right now. And right behind you is a picture that my grandma painted. She's an artist. And I'm looking at the one original oil painting I have. I have her paintings all throughout my house, but most of the things I have are prints. But this is the real thing. It's a real oil painting of a field full of Indian paintbrushes. And that is on my top list of gifts given right and it's because there was effort put into it and it's and it's a piece of her right and I think that that is uh you know that was my favorite thing in uh that that was my favorite insight in that chapter is that really a gift is just a thought put into action right that's right and some of us have to realize how important gifts are I was never a kid that was like I can't wait till Christmas I can't wait till my birthday because I I'm not a I'm not usually a gift. There's some gifts that have meant a lot to me, but I'm not a, I'm not a gift, give me a gift person. I'd really rather have a nice compliment a lot of times uh, or, or something along those lines, get to go on some type of adventure or, yeah. or whatever. So he talks about in the book, what do guys like you and me or guys like me, you're a good gift giver. How do we show love to people that gifts are a big deal to. And he's really practical. He says, look out for opportunities and write them down. And uh, one one thing that, a great example of someone that looked for an opportunity to give a gift, uh, the sheriff, Jim Weir. When I got sworn in to be the district judge, he came to the courtroom afterwards in my very first plea. It was actually a public intoxication plea. So a guy had public drunk. I took that plea as the first thing I did as a judge at like 8.31 on the first morning. Yeah. 
he got a certified copy of that plea and framed it for me uh, with the date and time. And I came to work, and he had had somebody hang that in my office. And that was such a thoughtful gift of somebody thinking, here's an opportunity. So what did I do? I stole that. We had a prosecutor that had been an intern when I was a prosecutor that uh, had, had went on and was still in the DA's office, and she took another job, and we had a going-away party. Well, I sat with her when she tried her first case. So when she left, you know what I gave her? I got a certified <laughs> copy of the, the jury verdict where it said guilty mm-hmm. of that first trial that, that she did that I sat with her, mm-hmm. and I had it framed, and I gave it to her. Yep. So I took the gift that he gave, and I stole that idea, and I kept it for a chance that I could use the same thing. And it's okay to steal ideas. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, exactly. You know, nobody's, no, every gift, it's not like every gift given is, is copyrighted, right? Like, yeah. And well, here's, a, here's another great example of a stolen gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, and I mean this in a positive way. So my niece Lydia was doing a project at school and she had to come up with a product. Yeah. And so I said, I've always wanted a truck towel. And she said, what's a truck towel? And I said, I just want a towel that hooks on the seat of my truck that's waterproof on the back, that when I'm backing my boat into the lake and getting in and out, I can sit on it and sit out, and I just take it and throw it in the washer just like any other towel, but it just hangs there so it doesn't fall. There's nothing like that. And so I'm telling her all about that. I do that when we're at the lake skiing. I come home from work three or four days later, and Elizabeth, my wife, has bought the stuff and sewed me a truck towel. Yeah. And now I have a truck towel. Chad has seen it. Yeah. Well, I was there, I think, one or two days after you got it, and you were giddy about it. Oh, right? absolutely. Like, it meant so much to you. Yes, and she just overheard me telling Lydia, this would be a great product because I can't be the only one in the world that wants one of these. And so she heard me, and she just went to the fabric store, got the stuff, and sewed it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, really, you know, I think we've we've kind of danced around this, this the whole time. It's just gifts are about paying attention, right? Yes. It's just about about devoting some sort of attention and effort into investing that into a relationship, right? Absolutely. About being intentional. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Intentionality is, is a thread that I think is woven throughout all five of these love languages. Awesome. Yeah. So next we have acts of service, acts of service. Tell me about acts of service, Corey. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it's pretty clear that actions speak louder than words. God said to the Israelites, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so, again, we see reflected in Scripture this idea that we express our love by the things that we do. And so some of us express our love by doing something for other people. And this is your classic father-provider expression of love. The father who says, I love you so much, I'm not going to be at your ball game because I'm at work providing for you to have cleats to wear in that ball game. And it's also the classic conflict where you sometimes have the kid who says, if you love me, you'd be at the ball game. And you have one expression of love and one expectation of love, and they don't line up. And that's the kind of thing this book is really helpful for is to understand dad's trying to show his love for you by providing. And... And you need to see that. But also, son says, I don't care if I have the best cleats. I want you to be at the game. Yeah. And so that's a great example of how they conflict. But some of us 
that's what we want to do. We want to serve. We want to go work on people. I have a brother-in-law that when, when I was in college, my sister and my brother-in-law lived in Norman. And he was a mechanic before he went to college. And I had this old beat-up red Toyota convertible. And every time I would come over to the house, over to Kim and Brian's house, Brian would go outside and fix my car. Because there was always something broken. Yeah. And he would just just fix it, uh, whether that was getting the heater to work or, or, or whatever the case may be. And that that was what connected me to him and made me think, wow, we, we really love each other. Yeah. And, and, and that meant a lot to me, but that was his way of serving. And I'm, I'm not as good at fixing cars as Brian, but that's kind of how I'm wired too. Yeah. It's... I'm going to go build something or fix something or solve some problem or provide for something as opposed to just quality timing. Yeah. We've talked about I'm not good at the quality time. Mm -hmm. And lots of times those things conflict. Uh, well, I think we'll talk about some examples of that when we talk about conflicts of love languages later. But he gives some examples about how we can be better at acts of service and how we can appreciate acts of service. Number one, if you're feeling down on the quality time issue, if you feel like they're never here, look and see what are they doing when they're gone? Are they expressing their love through an act of service and that's why they're not there? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we don't realize we feel unloved because we're loved. Yeah. Uh, another thing is if you're somebody who needs acts of service in your life, ask, but do it in a positive way, not a nagging way. Mm -hmm. Say, it would mean a lot to me if you did this thing. Not, you never, you never weed the garden, or you never make the bed, or you never cook, or whatever, whatever it is that you're fussing over. Don't use those negative terms. Say, it would mean a lot to me if you would help me around the house. You know, that's one thing. You just reminded me of um, something from the book that I really appreciated. You know, um, I think he was actually in the quality time chapter when he said this, but it, it applies to acts of service as well. You know, he was saying, you know, if if you are, if you know that your spouse is a quality time person, be sure when you are present with her or him, you are there, right? And so... Um, and you're able to give your entire attention uh, with with that person, right? And he even said, you know, it doesn't hurt to be honest and say, I'm busy right now, but if you give me 10 minutes to finish up, I will be all yours and we can talk, right? And I think that that, that same kind of concept applies to the acts of service thing. I think, I think that if you need... If, if that is how you feel loved, you know, there are ways that you can frame that where you can say, you know what, I am, you know, the fact that the dishes aren't done is really stressing me out. And I, I would really appreciate if you would help me out with that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's important to note that the things that we do to serve really serve somebody else and not us. So in other words, if you just really love football, maybe an act of service is not sitting there telling your wife all the rules of football so she can watch it better because she doesn't love football. An act of service would be running 
a cable line so she can get a home shopping network or food network or whatever she likes to the TV in your bedroom so she could watch that, not what you like. And so I struggle with that sometimes. And so you have to watch and see, okay, I want to serve in a way that will mean something to the person. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. All right. So our, our final love language that, that for us to talk about is physical touch is physical touch. This is, is my kind of main love language. Um, it's something that, that means a lot to me, you know, and I think that a lot of that comes from the fact that when I was a kid, my family, we were huggers, right? Like every single time I saw, you know, my grandpa or my dad, you know, you just, they'd hug you just almost to the point where it was uncomfortable. Right. And I think that that's kind of carried on in, in my, in my life, right. In the way that I feel loved, right. If somebody gives me a hug, I mean, I'm, I'm a hugger, you know, I mean, absolutely not going to hate it, you know, absolutely. And biblically says in revelation and I'll, I think also in Isaiah that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's an incredibly vivid image that really, really, it goes straight to the heart. Like when Jesus says, I'm going to wipe that tear from your eye. That's such a beautiful picture of love. That's so powerful. And that's an example of that physical touch, that having that tear wiped away. And physical touch here, that could include sex, but it's really not about sex. So see, one of the misconceptions about this book is everybody thinks, oh, well, every man, physical touch is their thing. But that's really not what it is because we're not going to get into that sex stuff. We already had a lesson about that. But that can be acts of service. That can be um, affirmation. That can be a gift. That can be every one of these, just depending on your personality and how you express those things. And we've talked before about that's an act that's really about the other person. And so that's not what physical touch is about. Physical touch is about that personal acceptance that happens when, like, Jesus wipes away the tear from your eye or or I love when my wife will just kind of put her hand on my shoulder as she walks by a room just for a moment or uh, uh, take my hand uh, as, as we're walking in, into a, a, a show or to a meeting or whatever the case may be and we just hold hands yeah and uh, and when you bring it when you bring it back to even to a friendship level even things like a slap on the back right? Um, my dad and I always play this, my dad and I, and my, my younger brother Cole always, always plays goofy game where we'll, we'll thump each other in the side or we'll, you know, kind of jab at each other and stuff. And, and really, you know, or you see, you know, kind of, uh, people playing sports, you know, ball players kind of, you know, slapping each other on the back or, or hitting each other on the helmet or whatever. I think that all of that is kind of in the same kind of realm, right? It's Absolutely. This, it's this this affirming act of of contact with with somebody else, right? So if somebody, if we're out skiing and somebody lands an awesome jump and you give them a, a hearty slap on the back, you know, I mean that that is within the realm of, of physical touch. Yes, and like guy to guy, it's perfectly acceptable for this physical touch thing to be tackle someone or headlock yeah. them or yeah. or or that type of thing. Don't be hitting your wife. Yeah. Let's right? let's make that yes, very clear. Absolutely. But 
but there is this there's something about guys that relate that that wrestling around and that type of stuff i think that's another biblical example jacob wrestled with god yes and i think that's a great picture of this physical touch and how it helps us to relate and some people are touchers and some people aren't Mm -hmm. so if you're a toucher let let your spouse know and also understand not everybody is that way yes and this 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 relates to the marriage thing but a really cool thing that that he said in the book that made me think is he said if you really like to be touched wear clothes that are touchy Mm -hmm. like wear things that are felt that make somebody want to feel because they're kind of fuzzy or whatever and 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 do things to put you in a position where somebody will want to hold your hand or want to do that Mm -hmm. and it made me think back to kindergarten when i got my very first flat top Mm -hmm. and so i combed it up and it was all all straight and cool looking and all the girls in the class lined up and wanted to put their <laughs> hands in my hair yeah and and when they did it tickled and i liked that mm-hmm. so i wore a flat top for like the next five years <laughs> and pretty much and i got one every friday and pretty much every monday at school mm-hmm. everybody would want to touch my head and i love that yeah yeah and that's natural that's mm-hmm. okay because we like that human contact now the bible has parameters about what touches are okay and what are not yeah that's uh, you know and and this you know i I said earlier reed is my my quality of time quality time kid deacon is my physical touch kid right like he wants to rough house he wants to give give you a hug i mean in fact a couple minutes ago he just came in and I, I heard the door when he opened the door, and I knew, I waited just a minute, and I knew to kind of reach back, and I knew that he would be kind of wanting just kind of a little little hug, right? He just needed to be touched. And he had a giant smile on his face when you reached over and hugged him, just yeah. like, oh, Daddy, that's what I needed. Yeah, right? And, and just in that kind of particular example, I just let you keep talking. I didn't really, I didn't even look at him or acknowledge him. I just gave him a hug. If that would have been Reed... Reed would have really needed my eyes, right? He would have really needed for us to kind of have a verbal or at least a nonverbal but direct eye-to-eye, voice-to-voice conversation, you know? Absolutely. And something he talks about in the book is the type of physical touch we're talking about is a touch with no other expectation. Not a let me rub your back so you'll rub my back kind of thing. But it's just let me hold your hand for a second. Mm -hmm. Let me put my hand on your back. Or the if it's guys, let's arm wrestle. Yeah, those type of things. It's just an expression of comfortableness, mm-hmm. um, and and that's awesome. And yeah. of course, we have to be mindful. Not everybody's yeah. cool with that. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really cool is he says, "Be creative in the way you've expressed this," mm-hmm. and he talked about a, a guy who's really really big on physical touch and his wife she's somewhere gone i can't remember why and he mailed her his shirt just because he felt like he just wanted to send something physical to her yeah yeah now i don't know if she's big on touch and whether that shirt meant much to her or not but maybe she's a gift person it was a gift yeah right i mean because those things they work lots of different ways so that is the five love languages and so, 
So give me give me some of your overall thoughts. You know, we've, we've kind of talked about all of them and we ventured into some of our kind of overarching thoughts. You know, one of the things I said was all of these, there is an intentionality about every single one of these. And that's kind of universal. Do you have any kind of overarching thoughts, maybe like that, maybe not, that, that you'd like sure. to share? So we've all got those five love languages within us. And some of us, different ones resonate more than others, but they're all there. But sometimes our particular preferred love languages conflict. And I think a really important thing to note when you're understanding human interaction is the way that those things have conflict. For example, gifts of service or acts of service sometimes can be words that are not affirming. The example, my dad, I love my dad. He is a acts of service and a gifts guy. He is a do anything for you, provide anything for you type of person. He's not a big talker. But after every football game I ever played in, he would say, son, you played a good game, but remember that third play on the second series of the third quarter when the ball went left and you stepped right? Yeah, you missed that tackle because you, you didn't pay attention to your reads. And he would go through every mistake I made. And people would see that or hear that, and they'd think, oh, my gosh, how terrible. But to me, because I'm also an, uh, an acts of service kind of guy, I was eating that up yeah. because he's helping me get better. And I loved it. And that's what I respond to. Yeah, and he was and paying I attention. And I treasure that time. Yes, he watched every play. He wasn't at the concession stand. He wasn't playing on his phone. He wasn't talking to the guy next to him. He wasn't, wasn't selling a car. He was watching. And that meant so much to me. But if you're just a words of affirmation person, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, he said all these negative things. And so you have to be careful for how those things interact. And other things people see differently. So Elizabeth, she's really big on quality time. That's my very much least love language. I'm really big on acts of service, although she is too. If she says, let's do the chores together, I'm thinking, let me bless her with a clean house. I'll go to the guest room and I'll start cleaning it. And then I'll make a list and I'll move on to the next room. Let me go get the SOS pads and I'll scrub the tile. Let me do these things. She says, Let's work one room at a time. Let's start with the dishes. I wash and you dry. Let's go in the bedroom. You take one end of the sheet. I take the other. I say that's so much inefficient. It takes almost the same amount of time for two people to clean a room as one person to clean a room. Let me just crank it out. I'll put on my headphones and listen to a book on tape. We don't have to interact. Mm -hmm. But to her, let's spend time together and let's talk and let's do these things together. Yeah, and if you don't finish that day, it's okay. Yeah. Right? That's not how I think. And so somehow in the last 16 years, we've sort of reached a happy medium. And sometimes I put my book on and go in the other room and work. And sometimes I dry dishes right next to her. But we make it work and we talk to each other about what we're seeing and what we're feeling. And uh, overall, you know, our house is clean. Yeah. We don't kill each other. It works pretty well. Yeah, I right. mean, we, uh, we, have, we have a happy marriage. We're blessed. But those things can be conflict. Yeah. And, and I think that that is one of the most useful things about uh, this book or this idea of love languages is if you don't have kind of a framework like this to, uh, to, to help you understand that, or if you don't at least have 
the biblical wisdom kind of behind this framework, that can be a really frustrating situation, right? Because you're both trying to show love to each other. And if you don't know how those kind of conflict, it can be frustrating. And we talked about earlier the, the classic, you never spend time with me because I was working on your car or because I was providing for you or because I was cooking dinner for you or whatever the case may be. And that is a classic misconception that we have to look at through those golden rule eyes. Mm -hmm. Not to say, why aren't you eating chocolate ice cream? Mm -hmm. But to say, wait a minute, what was your favorite flavor ice cream? To get it back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I think that this is one of those places where where communication is key. You know, I mean, the the natural kind of slant of this book, rightfully so, is towards like romantic relationships and marriages and things like that. But in in every kind of situation, communication is key. You know, I, I see this in our friendship at times. Right. You are a fixer. You're you're an acts of service guy. And there are times that I need you to just run through whatever I'm stressing out about like a linebacker and take care of take care of it, right? But there's also some times where we'll be sitting around a table playing games and you're still kind of in problem-solving mode and I have to be like, dude, let's just hang out. I don't want to talk about it tonight, right? And and that communication is key to building a good friendship or building a, a good relationship with your kids or building a good relationship with your spouse and just having that conversation. And I think the more we take priority or the more we take the initiative and communicate those things, the better off we'll be. Absolutely. I also think there's a really big danger in using love as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And this book makes that easier because you can say, oh my gosh, this person is starved for physical touch. I'm just going to not touch them until I get my way. Or I'm not going to say anything nice to them. I'm going to give them the cold shoulder and sit in the room without talking. Or I'm, I'm just going to work late or whatever. And we can use love and love languages and the way people respond. We can use that as a weapon. And that is precisely what Jesus doesn't command us to do. Love is not self-seeking. And so we are told to love. And so that's sin. And so I want to make it clear that if you use this book to manipulate people, you got it exactly backwards. Yes. Yeah. And every one of these love languages has an opposite, right? Words of affirmation have an opposite, you know, words that bring other people down, right? Um, quality time has an opposite in avoiding contact with other people, right? Physical touch has has two, there's there, there are two directions you can go with that. You know, I, I see that, you know, you saying that made me, made me think of this, you know, Deacon, I mentioned earlier, he's my physical touch kid, right? Um, and he'll be the first one to come and give me a hug. But um, being a four-year-old, he's also, when he's upset, will be the first one to just, to just swing at you or, or, you know, or, or hit his brother or, 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 or try to cause pain to, to, to his brother. And really what he's doing is he's using that love language um, kind of in the opposite direction to show his um, disillusionment with the situation, right? And I think that that is an extreme example. That's a more extreme example. You know, he's, he's young. He's still kind of figuring out how to deal with his emotions. But I think we all can kind of do that, right? We all can kind of use whatever love language means the most to us kind of in the opposite way, right? Um, if we're words of affirmation people, we're probably better at using words to hurt 
if we want to because we know how much they can mean on the positive end of things, right? It's 100%. really easy. It's really easy to flip that. You know, it's really easy to flip that equation around, right? Absolutely. And solve for negative x instead of x. And, and the last little concern that I have, I just want to be clear, and I know we started with this, but this book's not scripture. And not everything in our life has to pigeonhole into these categories. I think this book is really helpful in using it to assess are we loving like Jesus loves the church. But at the end of the day, the best advice I can give for any relationship, particularly a marriage relationship, which is what the book talks about mostly, is Ecclesiastes 12.1. Now, we already talked about husbands and wives relate just like the church relates to Jesus. And it says, remember your creator before the day, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come or before the times of trouble come. And that's so profound. There have been very few days when I've woke up and said, today I want to break my wife's heart. I've never done that. There have been few days when I said, today I want to make her so mad at me. But in the last 16 years, we'll have our 16th anniversary in two weeks. In the last 16 years, there have been lots of days I made her cry or made her mad. Not because I woke up and thought I want to hurt her, but I woke up and thought of me and what I want. And I didn't think about her at all. In the same way, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. In other words, starting off before the days of trouble come. When we remember our Creator, I'm going to give you a hint. A lot of the days of trouble never come. Yeah. Because we create our own days of trouble. But when they do come, we have a firm foundation because our house is built on a rock. And we have that relationship with Jesus that can weather the storm. Life's still a roller coaster, but we have a seatbelt. Yeah. In the same way, when we remember our spouse or even our friends, our buddies, a lot of times those days of trouble don't come because we think of them and we don't create our own problems but when they do we have the foundation to get to get through it and i think this whole book is about ways to remember each other the theme through every one of those love languages is be intentional look for ways to give gifts look for ways to spend time together look for excuses to touch your spouse look for um what am I leaving out? Look for ways, uh, to, look, look for ways to affirm. Yeah. yeah. Look for ways to affirm. Yeah. Yeah. It's and all I, about remembering. Yeah. And, and you know, just like you said earlier, this isn't scripture. I think it's wonderful. It's a wonderful framework to explore that command we have to love one another that we get in the scriptures. And I think at the root of that, or at least really close to the base of that, is intentionality. Absolutely. So I guess two things. Uh, number one, uh, be cognizant of the way that we love and the way that other people love and the way we show affection. And number two, uh, when you get ready to kind of think you might want to marry somebody, this might be a great book to go through together. Well, I've enjoyed talking about this with you. I think, uh, I think it's really helpful and, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how we can figure out how to apply it in our daily lives. Awesome. Hey, can we plug next week real quick? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to be out of town again uh, next week and or, or unavailable for the podcast, I should say. And one of the great things about summer is we always have some, some great guest speakers. And this year, one of my buddies from college, one of my neighbors down the street from our first 
houses in Chickasha, and, and one of our friends from First Baptist Church, Aaron Taylor, is uh, going to be on the podcast, and he's going to talk about social justice and what is a Christian's role uh, in dealing with social justice issues. You're going to want to download. You're going to want to listen. Uh, so we'll hear you back next week. Yeah, I'm See looking ya. forward to it. See ya.